Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. So today, we've got an episode with Gigi, and we're talking about some of his articles and also his new book that's out recently, 21 Lessons, which I'm sure many of you know about. But first, a word on behalf of the sponsors of the show. So firstly, Kraken consistently rated one of the best and most secure Bitcoin exchanges in the world. You've got to check them out. They are one of the longest standing Bitcoin exchanges and there's a reason for that. They provide a high quality platform. They offer some of the best liquidity in the industry. They offer 24-7, 365 support so you can easily get your questions answered. They have an OTC desk for those who are seeking higher touch large block trades. They offer six fiat currencies. And they've also got Kraken Pro mobile app delivering all the security and features you love about the Kraken exchange in a beautiful mobile first design. Don't forget there is Kraken margin up to five times long and short and Kraken futures up to 50 times leverage. Go and sign up at kraken.com. This episode is brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial services company. Check out some of my recent interviews with some of the team as well, Drew Bansol and Parker Lewis. Unchained Capital provide products and services built on the foundation of multi-sig. And so you can set up a two of three keys multi-signature vault, which is a great option if you're thinking about how best to secure your Bitcoin for the long term. And then if you need to access liquidity, if you want to get US dollar, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, that's where Unchained's collateralized loans offer you a unique option. You put up some Bitcoin, all that Bitcoin is stored on-chain, it's in dedicated multi-sig addresses, it's never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security in that model by holding one of three keys. I'm really impressed with Unchained. They've got awesome open source tools such as Caravan and Hermit, and they're releasing valuable content. So I think you'll enjoy partnering with them. Go and sign up at unchained-capital.com. Check out givebitcoin.io the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me, I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They didn't know what they were receiving. And that's why there's huge value in Give Bitcoin. So you can buy Bitcoin for your friends and family just using their email address. And here's the twist. That gift is time delayed with a regulated US custodian for one year. And during that year, Give Bitcoin delivers 12 monthly lessons to that recipient to speed them through to that point of becoming a hodler. There's input from many well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Brady from Citizen Bitcoin, and Jan Pritzker is the CTO. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake and I'm assisting with the curriculum too. So keep an eye out for some exciting announcements coming. Givebitcoin.io is the website. The aim is to really have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding. Next is CypherSafe at CypherSafe.io. They're producing the Cypher Wheel product. So you've invested in a Bitcoin hardware wallet. Are you keeping your BIP39 seed backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident? Look into Cypher Wheel, a new product. It's compact. It comes in a wheel shape. It masks the words of your seed unless you open the padlock tamper evident seal so you know if it's been opened. CypherSafe are switching the stainless steel alloy used as well so the product is providing a bit more corrosion resistance and otherwise the product scored an A versus heat and crushing on Jameson Lobb's recent round of physical seed testing. So make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your Bitcoins if an accident occurs. Orders should be going out in early February. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io. So for those of you who don't know, Gigi is an author in the Bitcoin scene. He has written a website, 21 Lessons, which is now a book. And he's also responsible for some other websites such as bitcoin-resources.com. And in this episode, we talk a little bit about some of the articles he's written and obviously 21 Lessons. Here is the interview. Gigi, welcome to the show. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for having me. 
Look, man, I know you've got a lot of awesome stuff going. You've got uh, 21 lessons. You've got Bitcoin resources. You've got a bunch of articles. You come in and I've seen you've you've done some great writing and some fantastic curating as well. And I know you've done a bunch of uh, podcast appearances as well. Uh, but uh, tell us a little bit of your journey. How did you how did you get into this? Yeah, well, it actually it took me quite a while to get into Bitcoin. Um, I was primed to fall down the rabbit hole, but for the, for one reason or another, I just didn't. You know, uh, a couple of my friends around me, they um, yeah. They got messed up by Mt. Gox and they got in quite early. And so I I heard about Bitcoin quite early, I would say, but I always thought, ah, no, it would never work. I never looked into it. And it's just funny internet money. And it's just a bunch of gamblers and drug addicts playing around with internet money. And so it, it took me, I think, <laughs> it, it took me maybe like four touches with Bitcoin or something like that to uh, have, have a second look. And uh, the thing was just, you know, I mean, you, you've had, the, you've heard the story many times, but it just, it wouldn't die, it wouldn't go away. And so one day I just sat down and, and dove in and yeah, there, there was no going back for me. <laughs> and so what was it that ticked you over to actually paying attention? Like, was there anything special about it or was it just repeated exposure in your case? Yeah, well, it, it didn't take much actually, actually. Um, it, once I realized that it's insanely hard to kill, like once I, I actually realized how it works on the technical level, um, I, I was kind of won over. And um, yeah, ever, ever since I'm playing catch up with all of you guys, you know, like years of experience in Austrian economics and I'm, I'm still catching up on that. So uh, a big piece of the puzzle that was missing for me was um, just the uh, economic side of it. And uh, that, that is, it is actually new money. And I didn't, I didn't know a thing about money. So for me, it was just uh, technology at first. And um, I was very sympathetic to the ETH hats. <laughs> so I was, I, I was very interested in unstoppable world computers and uh, programmable money, so to speak. And I, I didn't get the bigger picture at first. So that's, the, I think um, that was the biggest block for me for like one or two years, something like that. That's cool. So yeah, let's we're definitely going to jump into the economics aspect of it as well. But I'm particularly curious to know what it was that made you think Bitcoin just couldn't be killed or is unlikely, very unlikely to be killed. Yeah, well, um, hmm, that's a good question. I think it was a couple of aha moments in a way. Um, it's just a very ingenious system. And uh, I, I really like the analogy of... Uh, uh, comparing it to a living thing in a way and it, it is very similar to that because um it, in in essence it can bootstrap it bootstrap itself again uh, or like revive itself from just one cell in a way and uh, so just realizing how insanely resilient bitcoin is um did it for me i i, I can't pinpoint exactly to like one single thing it was just one day it it finally clicked and i was like okay there's really like almost no way to kill it you would have to kill pretty much everyone who operates a node and, and destroy all the hard drives and destroy just just destroy everything destroy the whole world <laughs> then it's gone maybe <laughs> right and that reminds me as well so one of your articles is proof of life and in that article you spell out how ralph merkel the inventor of cryptographic hashing and namesake of the Merkle tree, as you point out, he made this argument that Bitcoin is the first example of a new form of life. Now, 
that might seem a little crazy to an outsider. What what's what are you getting at there? <laughs> yeah, it it is very crazy to an outsider, and it, it is. But it, I think it's an interesting thought, and I I think there are two ways to look at Bitcoin. It's um, to, you can look at Bitcoin as a tool, and all the all the people use Bitcoin to um, satisfy their needs uh, or to to arrive at an end. And uh, the other way is just to flip it on its head and and look at Bitcoin at, at its at its own as its own thing, as its own entity. And uh, in a way, Bitcoin uses us to fulfill its needs. And uh, I, Ralph Merkel was the first one, as far as I know, who, who did that. And I, um, huge shout out to Brandon Quidem, who uh, wrote the, um, the mushroom analogies and, and how to view Bitcoin as a, a mycelial network, a, a fungal network. And I, I think he was uh, instrumental in popularizing this idea further in a way. And I think it's, in a, in a way, it's profoundly true. And it's simply true because just the uh, incentives are set up in a way that you can view Bitcoin as its own thing. So it, it incentivizes people to use it because it pays people to use it. And it, it pays miners, for example. And it incentivizes um, all of us to be good Bitcoin citizens and, uh, uh, you know, be a self-sovereign Bitcoin citizen. And it, it incentivizes developers to develop it further. And so it, it's just a way of um, flipping everything on its head and viewing Bitcoin as the main driving force in a way. Right. And that sort of reminds me of this concept I've heard of. Again, I'm not big into that whole community, like the rationality community or whatever, but they call this concept Roko's Basilisk, right? So I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but it's like this idea where kind of like there's this creature or monster in the future. And apparently if you don't do everything you can to help this monster get created, then it will punish you when it is created sort of thing. But this is like kind of a different analogy, but in some ways, Bitcoin is almost like a self-incentivizing system, right? Because the holders, they want to see it go up. The, you know, and typically then they will take action to make the system more resilient. So what are some examples that you can think of there? Um, yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily a, a new viewpoint. So um, um, this super organism viewpoint, um, other people have compared uh, large uh, companies, for example, to to the same thing. Like a company is also its own thing, or or a state, for that matter, is also its own thing, and it it acts in its own interest in a way. And uh, um, so it's it's just a different level of analysis. And I, I think uh, uh, one one example in Bitcoin, or, or there are actually quite a few examples, but you can also think about um, the open source nature of Bitcoin in the same way as biological gene transfer. Like if, if something, you have horizontal and you have um, vertical gene transfer. So if other projects do something that's insanely smart or insanely useful, Bitcoin will just absorb that feature. And uh, like um, the, the again, the incentives are aligned in in a way that developers will work towards that goal to include useful features into Bitcoin. And also, um, if you just look at the history of the technology, it's obvious that Bitcoin inherits, um, for example, cryptographic hashes and public key cryptography and stuff like that. And so it, um, yeah, it, I think the, the analogy to, to biology is quite an apt one and it's very useful to think about it in that way. Right, I see. And 
there might be some counterexamples potentially, right? So there might be some technologies that may not be suitable for Bitcoin or that may never get into Bitcoin. So a quick example might be, say, Mimblewimble, which is I think most people are kind of agreed that it's unlikely that we would ever get Mimblewimble into Bitcoin. Uh, it might happen on some shitcoin or maybe on a sidechain or whatever. Uh, but even then, for me personally, the way I think about that is it's more just like Bitcoin still has the monetary network effect. And that it, it's just so difficult to displace that. But how would you, how, how do you conceive of that kind of idea? Like basically, if there are certain technical things that for a technical reason cannot be implemented into Bitcoin. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I think there are quite a few things that that will never be will never be implemented um, since everything is about trade offs. Um, you, uh, I mean, we have the big debate now going on uh, in terms of privacy on the on the base chain, for example, uh, and it's that's a very obvious trade off you have to make. You uh, you can't have full auditability and easy auditability if you have complete privacy and. Um, there, there are similar things. For example, also uh, how powerful your scripting language wants to be, and you will never have uh, something that is Turing complete because you will run into other problems, as we saw in Ethereum and other chains. Um, you will have to introduce something that will get rid of the halting problem, and you will have to introduce a finite resource that is consumed during executions, stuff like that. And so you will always have to make trade-offs. And I think, um, as we all know, Bitcoin is very conservative in its, in its approach. And I think the, the, main, um, the main trait of Bitcoin is reintroducing sound money to the world and having, having it introduced in a way so it can't be stopped. And just the simple sentence, like, can't be stopped, it encompasses many things. Like, it's, it's per definition uncensorable. And it's... Uh, um, it's also outside of the law in a way, because if you could stop it by passing a law, then Bitcoin would have failed in a way. So it's the the the, the pure fact that this thing was built so it can't be stopped. It it already encapsulates a lot of things in my opinion, and thus it also makes a lot of trade offs in a way. So um, you 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 trade off, for example, um, I mean Bitcoin optimizes for radical decentralization and that's that's the whole point and once something is decentralized it's really really hard to change it's really slow moving because it's just the, the nature of the beast because you you would have to convince the whole organism or the whole network um one by one like one cell by one cell to change and that yeah uh, except for very rare circumstances this just doesn't doesn't happen <laughs> and what about the power of ideas and the relation to value right like where is the value in the system coming from <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> you, you're probably way better at answering the, the question than i am again I'm, I'm i'm still catching up on my economics but uh it's it's quite a Value in itself is quite a paradoxical things a thing I would say it's it's very subjective and uh, people value different things very differently. But I also think what what I learned and it's it's also part of the twenty one lessons I wrote is that uh, value is it, it is subjective but it's not really arbitrary. Like if something is very abundant, like leaves or uh, seawater when you're at the sea, <laughs> um, it, it's it's not valued at all. Like if if the cost of replication is near zero, for example, and we see that in, in the internet all the time, the, the, the tragedy of the commons in a way and the, uh, the problem that you can 
take information and copy that near zero cost, uh, it's very hard to monetize digital information, I would say. And it, it comes from that fact that it simply isn't scarce. And uh, so, yeah, where the value of Bitcoin comes from, I think Bitcoin is able to do something that wasn't, was not possible before and that inherently gave it value and some people realized that very very early and um, ever since the first transactions that actually had a monetary value and of course we have Laszlo's pizza transaction there but it, it was actually Bitcoin was actually traded before that for a monetary value and ever since like I think the the most important step in Bitcoin was the step from, from zero to something and everything else just snowballs from there because once the feedback loops, feedback loops of the system kick in, um, as Matt Adel likes to say, you know, Bitcoin is designed to pump forever. And I, I kind of agree. It's, it's uh, a vicious feedback loop that will, uh, I'm not sure about forever, but it will probably go on for a while. <laughs> Right. And as you say, it's it's this relationship between ideas and then the people who are putting that into practice. And then there's the code. Uh, in one of your articles, actually, Bitcoin's Gravity, you mentioned a little bit about the relationship between these. What What is that? Oh, yeah, that <laughs> that was a fun article to write. I, I thought about that a lot and uh, I, I wrote it um, uh, um shortly after the we are all hodling out phenomenon um so uh, i was mostly thinking about the the tribal nature of the space and how in a way certain ideas take possession of people and bitcoin uh, back to flipping the whole viewpoint on its head it's it seems to me that bitcoin takes possession of you in a way in, in to a certain extent and um it's it's really it's really interesting how uh, that is. I I said it before, and I think it's it's just a hilarious thing because if you look at it technically, you can't really own Bitcoin. Bitcoin, like you can't possess Bitcoin because it's just information. But Bitcoin, I think, can definitely possess you. So that's I, I just think that's that's hilarious in a way. And um, I came up with the idea of this big idea value feedback loop. So. As far as I can see it, those decentralized systems, and I'm, I, I hate to speak in generalities here because um, it, in, for me, Bitcoin is all that matters and I think everything else pales in comparison. But of course, there are some clones and there are some other systems and we see similar possession effects in those other systems in Ethereum, for example. And oh, for God's sakes, we even see it in XRP. You know, we have a, a, a bot troll army that <laughs> is religious about that. And um, it, it seems to me that um, you have a feedback loop where people are one piece of the puzzle. And you you generate a network which generates value, and nodes and people are part of this network. And once the the the, the network grows, the value grows as well. And then the people get even more um, yeah more feverish about it. Like they um, um, first of all they think they are right and their ideas are right. And if the value goes up, this this vicious cycle, this loop of um, um, yeah, of conviction in a way uh, starts. That's the way I, I see it. And I I definitely speak from experience because I um, it happened to me for Bitcoin as well. <laughs> right, as because there are many more casual users of Bitcoin, but 
potentially, as you're saying, they're, they're on this journey where over time, as they get exposed to more ideas, they build their conviction. What does that look like, that feedback loop? Um, yeah, I... Um, I don't have it at the top of my head, so it's probably best to uh, look into the article. But um, it's it, the general idea is that everything starts from from an idea, like Bitcoin. Uh, Satoshi had the idea to do it, and he was convinced that he was able to do it, and he he wrote the code, and so the the network was started with one one node. Like yeah, okay, the network was started with two nodes actually. But um, the idea is that you you put the idea into code. You run the code on the nodes and the nodes connect to a network and um, the network generates value and the value reinforces the idea. So um, that's that's the whole loop in a way. And um, again, this is a, a, a vicious cycle which we can see very clearly in, in Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is very cyclical in nature and it has a lot of those feedback loops in it and it's its whole... Um, or at least parts of, parts of its security model are in this loopy nature, and um, yeah, I think it's it's true for other projects as well. But uh, as I also wrote in in Bitcoin in Bitcoin's gravity, where this idea comes from, um, all of those ideas they kind of compete with each other because in the end you need to have a monetary token for the system to work, and in the end. Uh, all monies uh, fight for uh, saleability and fight for liquidity, and uh, it's it's just a vicious battle. And uh, the way I see it, uh, it it truly is a, a winner takes all phenomenon in a way. Like uh, the the tail end is so long and so thin that it doesn't even matter. Like uh, I think the, all the altcoins in the long run will starve to death, and it's simply because of this gravitational effect that the more people um, learn about it. Uh, they also realize that they want to use the network with the most network effects and with the most value does. And I think the the um, I think Bitcoin is good enough for it to win it all. So uh, uh, <laughs> not only that, I think it also can improve where it needs improvement. So for me, it's it's very clearly a winner takes all phenomenon in a way. Yeah. And another idea that came to me as I was reading your article is this concept of differing understandings of what Bitcoin is. And how do we resolve that in a way where, as you say, three people, if you ask three different people, they might have three different definitions of Bitcoin, or they might have slightly differing ideas of what's most important to them about Bitcoin. So how do you think about that oh yeah um, i think about it all the time because bitcoin truly is different things to different people and um it, it it depends i think on your background and also on your level of understanding and i don't claim to understand bitcoin completely i i think it's it's not possible in a way <laughs> i think it's just too complex of a phenomenon to understand it completely and it's too interconnected to many other complicated disciplines and um yeah, I, I would love to write about that more in a way um, because there are many different viewpoints that you can take that kind of make sense. And I think all of them are valid and it depends on how you look at it and, and what you do. I mean, you can look at Bitcoin as simply a computer network. And if you have a computer network background or a distributed computing background, then this makes perfect sense. And you, um, yeah, you work on one 
small piece of Bitcoin in a way. But you can you can also look at it uh, as a database, for example. And this this makes sense as well. It's like an append only database, which is very inefficient in database terms, but it does one thing uh, very beautifully. You can also look at it simply as an asset that is traded. And if you're a trader, that makes perfect sense. You just look at charts all day and you try not to get wrecked. <laughs> and you can, <laughs> you, can, you can also look at it uh, as, a, as a new form of money. And uh, if you have a monetary history background, that also makes perfect sense. It's, it's like uh, Satoshi wrote about that beautifully as well. Uh, you have to imagine it as some form of new metal that you can teleport via a communication channel. And then Bitcoin becomes something very different. And I, I think uh, a lot of people, um, uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, just viewing it as this gravitational monetary object that sucks up value. And I think that makes sense as well. It's the way I see it. The internet, everything, the internet touched everything that could be transformed to information was transformed to information and the internet just ate it up and i think the same will be true for bitcoin everything that can be transformed into value um it will be transformed into bitcoin at one point in time and bitcoin will just suck it up and um yeah again the bio the biology analogy i i like very much as well you can view it as a living system and it has such a huge social layer that um, a lot of things start to make sense as well. All the quote-unquote toxicity, for example, and uh, many other immune response, um, yeah, things uh, kind of make sense if you if you view all the toxic maximalists as the white blood cells of Bitcoin. Then it makes sense that sometimes the system has an autoimmune reaction and maybe overdoes it a little bit, you know. And Bitcoin definitely is allergic to to some things. So. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Right. And uh, right, as you mentioned, the so-called toxicity and the argumentation that, that has happened within Bitcoin over Bitcoin's history. But one other way to conceive of that or related is sometimes that's how people actually learn, right? So we've learned over time. So I think until Andreas really popularized the saying, not your keys, not your coins, People might have just thought, oh, hey, I've got my coins on Coinbase or whatever, and I still hold Bitcoin, don't I? Oh, yeah. Uh, so these are ways we learn as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm don't get me wrong, I'm all for toxicity. It's just, uh, I think it's it's very it's very misunderstood. I wouldn't have it any other way. I even think it's it's kind of tame in the Bitcoin world. Um, I, I have a very strong gaming background, and, uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, there, there are a, a lot of 14-year-olds that are way, way, way meaner than most of the toxic Bitcoiners. You know, so um, just <laughs> grow, grow a thicker skin, everyone, a bit. But um, I, I think it's it's very important to uh, be just vigilant. And I also think that um, this is still all of it uh, is is in a way it's not very important yet. I think um, uh, all the bickering and the infighting it's it's just uh, I I see it as a warm up to to the end boss in a way. Because um, as I think you would agree, it's about separating money and state. And I think we haven't seen the big attacks on Bitcoin yet. I, I, I still, I'm, I'm convinced we're still living in peacetime. Um, I think the only real war, quote unquote, we had was a civil war and which resulted in the first contentious hard fork. But uh, other than that, I think it was relatively, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised that... Uh, Bitcoin. I, I wouldn't call it smooth sailing, actually, but it's it's um, yeah. 
<laughs> there weren't real um, government level attacks or attempts at shutdown as far as I know yet. And uh, um, many people say it's already too late for that. I, I think, again, it's insanely hard to kill Bitcoin. So you would have to do, I think you would have to kill it in a roundabout way. You can't really kill it in a direct attack, I think. And uh, so, again, to loop it back to the toxicity, I think it's it's very, very healthy to have a strong immune system and just to um, call, yeah, call bullshit out when you see it and just be very, very vigilant about um, how this protocol progresses. Right. And you also mentioned in the article uh, this concept around attraction and repulsion. So... This idea that some people are more amenable to the idea of Bitcoin. So obviously, anarcho-capitalist libertarians, cypherpunks, privacy advocates, they can more easily jive with the idea of Bitcoin. Whereas a more socialist, or some most socialists and like most kind of status types, they might not see as much of a role for Bitcoin. And so those people who are more repulsed by Bitcoin, let's say, just because of their priors their existing beliefs and ideology and so on is it that they won't see what's coming before it's too late to stop it <laughs> yeah well um that's a good question i i i i don't know how it will play out i i'm a huge believer in um I'm a huge believer in making Bitcoin so easy to use that it is indistinguishable f from the current internet we have. And nobody really knows how the internet works in a way. Everyone uses it and uh, you don't necessarily have to be philosophically aligned with the um, the main building blocks of the internet, like net neutrality for it for, for you to be able to use it. And I think with Bitcoin, it's very similar. We are still in the early adopters phase. And I think those people that um, resonated with the main ideas of Bitcoin, they were very receptive to it. And um, it's, it's interesting, again, because you have a bunch of different people that uh, woke up to it early in a way. Um, as you said, you have libertarians and um, uh, also, um, yeah, you, you definitely have... Um, a lot of uh, cypherpunk early adopters and and stuff like stuff like that and technologists but uh it's it's interesting that um yeah it, it's a mixed crowd of early adopters i would say and as bitcoin progresses and grows i think it will get easier and easier to use and in the end i think it's just like the internet you will have no choice but to use it today you can't really function in the modern world if you don't have access to the internet and if you don't have a smartphone you won't get a job you won't get a job interview you just you don't function in the in the real world and i think in like i don't know the time frame but maybe like 10 15 20 years something like that i don't think it will take much longer um you will have to use bitcoin in some way shape or form yeah it's so difficult for us to explain now to people who they don't necessarily see it, it would be like telling someone oh you need to run your own email server right like right now it's and for most people they're like well i just i just use gmail whatever why do i need to do that and it, it just to them, it's like an unnecessary inconvenience. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas in the Bitcoin world, it's more like, no, you need to be vigilant. You have to watch what's going on. You got to spend time. You need to get, you need to build your technical competence. That can be 
you know, on the surface level, right? Obviously, I'm I'm one of the people helping push that idea, right? But at the same time, on a surface level, that could be that's a big ask. Oh yeah, it is. And don't get me wrong, it's still it's still kind of complicated, and it's also I think. Um, I think the the biggest problem is that just all the concepts are so novel in a way. It's really hard to wrap your head around. For example, just a private key. It's 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 really hard to wrap your head around it if if you're not from the space and if you're if you don't come uh, with a technological background. Because we we never had anything like that before. It, like there's a piece of paper or a piece of hardware or whatever. And if you leave me with this piece of paper for like half a second and i can take a picture of it your all your money is completely gone you know it's 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 very different and i think um we we are just now coming up with solutions to these kind of problems to revert back to the kind of physical nature of things so that we can actually lock it away away in a safe and have multi-sig setups where it's not the end of the world if one key gets stolen and stuff like that and uh shamir's secret sharing for example where you have redundant uh, sharded backups and i think we need all all of that for it to to be useful for people otherwise it's just too complicated not even from the technical side but but from the conceptual side as well because people are just horrible with security and i think that's one of the big adoption hurdles as well um like operational security of people and just general security hygiene of people is so insanely bad that it's just uh for most people it's a really bad idea to hold their own keys <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing and they will either lose access to the keys or get their keys stolen and um yeah there, there's still a lot of work to do but then again um it 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 wasn't very different like 15 20 years ago with just computers in general and and the web in general and like in the web everything was unencrypted for example everything was plain text and uh, you 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 could go to whatever place like if if there was a place with wi-fi you could just sniff all the traffic and read everyone's email and and get everyone's pass, uh, passwords and so on and i think it will just evolve over time and and get better and all those practices get better i think it's moving way way faster i think that um bitcoin is an exponential technology obviously but i also i even think it's it's better than that like it's it's an exponential technology built up on te exponential technologies and it feeds up on the network effects that are below it like smartphones are still evolving the internet is still evolving in a way like not everyone is online for example and we will get like a billion people online in the next couple of years and all of this innovation and all of this um yeah progress will feed back into bitcoin and into development of wallets and into security development and i think we will not have to think about the same things in like five years time i think you know for example like running your own node using your own node setting up your own multi-sig setup um taking care of you know like stamping your own uh, private keys into metal i think there will just be better and smarter solutions for that that's a, yeah, I think so as well. I think a lot of the work will be done to make it to put it into the background, so they don't have to, people don't have to think about it as consciously. Uh, one cool site I like about that you've made is Bitcoin-resources.com. I wanted to talk through just a little bit on you know how you came up with the list, and you've got an, a list of essentials here, and you know the TLDR is read the Bitcoin Standard and the bullish case for Bitcoin, right? But then you know each each topic. Uh, has some really nicely curated resources. And I think the essentials are really good that you've got here. You've got uh, the Bitcoin Standard, The Ethics of Money Production by Guido Holzman, and Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. So uh, 
it's interesting as well that these are all more economic based. <laughs> so you're sort of saying, okay, look, if there's three things you read about Bitcoin, you should read the economic things about it. Oh yeah, it. I, I think that's very important because again, I think it's not critical to understand how the technology in the background works. It's it's just like the internet in a way, you know, it's, it's it, how TCP IP works or how VGP routing works or whatever. It's It's not... It's not really helpful to understand what the internet is and what it enables you to do and how it will change the world. You know, understanding TCP IP doesn't really help you in, in just getting it in a way. And I think that um, most people have no idea what money is and don't have a, a background in, uh, like, I think most people still think that most uh, of the money of the world is backed by gold. I think most people still think that a dollar is backed by gold, for example. And so learning about, um, um, yeah, the monetary economics and uh, as the title of the book says, the ethics of money production, I think is is insanely important to understand the big picture of Bitcoin. And I, I think it's way, way more important to understand the, bit, the big picture and where we might be in like 10 or 15 or 20 years um, than to understand the technical nuances of uh, SHA-256 or um, yeah, crypto, any cryptographic hash function or public key cryptography. Yep. And you've listed here a bunch of Bitcoin non-technical books, right? So you've got the little Bitcoin book, you've got Bitcoin money, you've got obviously the Bitcoin standard, uh, Knut Svanholm's book, Bitcoin uh, Sovereignty Through Mathematics, and now recently your new book, 21 Lessons. So uh, tell us a little bit about those books. Why are they chosen? And we'll get to 21 Lessons as well, obviously. That's your book. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... Um, Bitcoin Resources was started as um, a private project of of myself, and I just I was reading so much stuff about Bitcoin, and I, I read everything I could get my hands on. And for me, just uh, it started with cu curating articles, actually, and um, there were a bunch of articles that were just really, really excellent. Uh, you mentioned the bullish case for Bitcoin, and I still think it's one of the best articles to read uh, if you if you're just getting into it and you you did not have your aha moment yet. I think it's it's just one of the best articles you can read. Uh, but there are a bunch of other ones um, that I I really liked, and I reread reread a couple of them uh, multiple times. And it just really helped me to um, drive home certain points of Bitcoin. So that's that's how it started. It was just the um, uh, the criteria for curation was that I have read it and I must have really liked it. And then it was on on, on my list. And uh, one day I just decided to make it publish and it uh, to make it public. And then it evolved from there and i i added uh, the books that i found very helpful and when i started the project there weren't too many bitcoin books around uh, so um, basically those are pretty much all the bitcoin books i've read so far <laughs> and i hope to add i hope to add um, um yeah multiple other ones that just came out recently um i bitcoin clarity is supposed to be very good for example um and i still have to read them and uh the last, I don't know, like six months or so, or so, I realized that it's just way too much work to keep it up on my own. So I open sourced the project, and I'm I'm still looking for contributors. There there are some, and there are some that help me a little bit with the curation. Uh, but the project is also on GitHub, and if someone wants to fork it or uh, create his own like Bitcoin resources site or help me out with creating the Bitcoin resources, um, yeah, I'm always happy to take pull requests. 
And one thing that strikes out to me is that you've got some of them organized into topics as well. You've got stuff like money, proof of work. Why is proof of work important? Because some people often think that's wasteful. And Bitcoin's identity, some of that is coming to more, you know, the philosophy of Bitcoin. What is the, you know, what is the identity of Bitcoin? And how it's like, it's like a social revolution. I like the way it's set out there. Um, but let's now turn to 21 Lessons. So 21 Lessons for most of us has been a website up until very recently. Uh, and, you know, it spells out uh, a range of different uh, lessons themed into different topics, right? I think one of the themes is economics. One of the themes was um, uh, philosophy and another one is around the technology. And uh, tell us a little bit about where did this project come from, 21 Lessons? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. <laughs> it actually came from a tweet, like one single tweet. Um, I think it was Arjun Balaji who asked, what have you learned from Bitcoin? And uh, many, many people responded and he had his own lessons that he learned. And I, I was um, just drafting a tweet and uh, yeah, I I, <laughs> I, t I think I, I wrote a tweet storm of like, I don't know, 10 tweets or something. And I was like, ah, no, that's, it, it doesn't feel right. I probably sh should write an article about what I've learned from Bitcoin, actually. Uh, because I think there's, uh, you know, like Bitcoin is, is a very um, ruthless teacher in a way. You can learn a lot from Bitcoin, but it's also a very humbling experience. So um, anytime, because that's also the reason why I'm very hesitant to say, uh, um, I understand Bitcoin or anyone really understands Bitcoin because every time you, you start to think that, Bitcoin will humble you and uh, you will realize that you haven't, understand, uh, haven't understood it really. <laughs> and um, so the subtitle of the book is What I've Learned from Bitcoin. And I forced myself, at, um, like halfway through pretty much, I forced myself to come up with 21 lessons, obviously. And... Um, yeah, for me, the most interesting ones were the philosophical insights in a way. And that, that was the, that's the first part of the book. And it was the first article I published. Right. And uh, that can be one of the most difficult parts as well for people to understand, because some concepts will just be spelled out, right? Like this is what a SHA-256 hash is, or this is what a, this is what the most saleable you know, commodity or the most saleable good is, right? So that's kind of very explicitly spelled out. But there are some other ideas that are maybe a little less easy to grasp for a pre-coiner or a beginner into Bitcoin. Uh, one example is the immaculate conception. What, what's, what's, what are we getting at there? Oh, yeah, um, that's a good one. So shout out to Marty Band uh, for that one, uh, for sure, because um, I think it was when Tales from the Crypt was very new, he, he talked about that a bunch. And um, I, I didn't really get it at first in a way. Like it, it took me a long time to understand how important uh, it was for Bitcoin to be born that way. Like it, it was almost like a, a, a gift from the gods, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, uh, yeah. Even though it has human origins, it's, it's still insanely important that Satoshi left. And I think, um, I think, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe it was Jameson Lop, uh, or maybe it was Jimmy Song, one of those two said that w one of the most important things that Satoshi ever did was to disappear. And I have to agree with that, because as we see with other projects, if the founders stick around, they have an, a tremendous amount of influence, uh, and that's a centralizing force. And so I, I think Satoshi had uh, an insane amount of foresight to leave the project behind. And uh, when it was just 
a small little sapling in a way and big enough to grow up on its own he stepped back and let others take over and um yeah it's it's just a i think an insanely fascinating origin story and um most of the people that are new to bitcoin underestimate the power and the importance of this origin story and another one you talk about is immutability so what is the value of that why is that important to bitcoin oh yeah um i think that's lesson one right immutability and change uh, I, I it's lesson one because i think it's it's the most important one and it's also the one i kind of learned the hardest in a way it's <laughs> um i i realized um after after a couple of years studying Bitcoin, I, I realized that Bitcoin changed me way more than I will ever change Bitcoin. And that was kind of a sobering experience and a sobering insight because um, and I, I also think that it's what drove some people mad in a way. Like there are some people that really want to change Bitcoin and it just... It, it just will not give in, you know, and <laughs> I think Bitcoin definitely has the potential to drive you insane. And I think we saw that a couple of times. And I think that's part of it. It's just the way the system is set up that it's it's so insanely hard to change. As I said, it's it's not that it's completely unchangeable. That's not it. But um, it, it has this kind of swarm intelligence. And if the swarm intelligence is against you, then um, you just you just have no chance to to change it. And also the the values that Bitcoin embodies in a way, they they have the power to change your worldview, I think. And um, once you yeah, once you learn more about the ideas inherent in Bitcoin, I think your worldviews will be challenged. It almost doesn't matter uh, what your background is. And uh, yeah, that's the the interplay of immutability and change. I put change in there as well, because Bitcoin is changing all the time. It's like, you know, the, like the cells in your body, they change all the time and you're not the same person that, that you were like a, a year ago, like literally. And with Bitcoin, it's very similar. Like every single line of code changes over time and uh, all of the components change, all the nodes change and the underlying infrastructure change, like, the, you know, the cable and the cables and the hard disks and everything else. And so it's, it's, very, um, it's very interesting, I think, that you have in a way an, an essence or a soul of Bitcoin that's really, really hard to change. It's uh, like almost immutable in a way. And you have the, the, the body of Bitcoin and um, yeah, all the, the machinery that makes it work that is changing all the time. And of course, we have a truly immutable outcome, as, as immutable, I think, as it, as it gets with the ledger entries. And it's, it's, it's in a way, um, yeah, the, the thing that is produced by, by the living Bitcoin organism. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, that can be one of the hardest parts to explain to a pre-coiner or a new coiner as well, because they need to have some understanding of open source software and like software, how software contribution works. But then not just that, but also the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter just what the developers write as code. It also matters what everyone runs. And that is a very difficult point to skillfully and succinctly articulate what's your view on that and every time you've tried to explain that <laughs> yeah um again that's a good question i'm not sure if there is a like an elevator pitch for bitcoin i think there there are like 20 or 30 different elevator pitches and you can give them to different people depending on the background but i don't think there is an easy way to explain 
um, the power balance of Bitcoin, for example. Um, like you would have to talk about the incentive systems. You would have to talk about the roles of miners and nodes and also how the ecosystem evolved over time and uh, how, yeah, how, how everything is always subject to change in a way because uh mind you a couple of years ago we didn't have mining pools and we didn't have um gpu or asic mining and the, uh, so the the whole system changed in a way but it still has this very beautiful balance and this balance of power and um i think you yeah I, again i don't think there is there is an easy succinct way of explaining it to someone that is that is rather new um the only way i can think of what i always try to do is to come up with analogies and analogies of the past it's um uh it it it, it isn't necessarily related now to to the power balance but a lot of people i talk to um the one of the first comebacks is always yeah the government will just outlaw it you know and i think one one of the examples you can bring up there is you know we had so many things that were outlawed all the time for example during the prohibition you're not allowed to to uh, create or consume alcohol and people are brewing beer and uh, schnapps and everything else in their cellars so how 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 do you want to enforce that and um again i really like the i really like the biology analogies and you can also for example think of a law that says we outlaw all ants now like in the whole country all the ants they are outlawed now but what what do you want to do about it and that's how i view bitcoin you know it's it's like it's very hard to get rid of it <laughs> yeah and I'll, I'll tell you why i was thinking that as well just uh for me even earlier today i was trying to explain to some people and, and you know and that was one of the points where it was difficult to articulate to them and at the same time so again like you don't want to be overbearing when you're trying to explain bitcoin to people you just try to let them come to you and ask and you try to answer the questions for them but i do sense that sometimes that can be a turnoff the complexity can be a turnoff basically uh but i think part of it is at least as far as i have seen it is ha having that person become curious enough that they want to then go and read further yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think um, Bitcoiners in general are are getting better with it in a way, and I, I think we, uh, what, what I really um, like is also shill lightly, you know, because uh, I think a lot of Bitcoiners had to learn that the hard way as well. If you if you come on too strong and talk to everyone about Bitcoin all the time, people will lose interest very quickly because it's just too complicated and it's too too much to take in. So I think. Um, yeah, to to onboard complete newbies, it's probably best just to to give them some Bitcoin, just uh, get get them some mobile wallet, and just just uh, transfer them like a, a couple hundred satoshi or something, uh, and uh, just explain to them, hey, I just I just sent you cash, and it, it behaves like cash, and it is cash, or just try to use words that are familiar to them. Um, but I, I think, as you, as you said, it's 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 like a journey, and uh, people will discover Bitcoin, I think, when they're ready. And I, I think I wrote this also in the book at the very end. Uh, I think that you will get Bitcoin, like the big picture, once you're ready. And I also think that you will get Bitcoin, like with a small b, you, you will get your first Satoshis once you're ready as well. And um, yeah, I think they're, they're coming like more and more resources are are coming out every day for example uh, the bitcoin intro resource that has a nice checklist where you can uh, tag along uh, during a like 
you, you can have a, a a standard Bitcoin journey, like you start with a with a wallet and then you take care of your private keys and so on and so forth. But again, I think it it will get easier over time, and I think also the onboarding will get easier over time. Yeah, it reminds me of that saying: uh, "When the student is ready, the teacher will appear." Right. So it's it's just like that idea that sometimes they have to be ready for it as well, and you can't rush that. You just have to basically be available and be be there to help them when they when they do ask when they do come to you yeah exactly so let's hit some of the uh economic lessons then so what 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 were some of the lessons that you had to learn from an economic perspective yeah (laughs) again i i also wrote it in the book like um i had zero economic background before i i got into bitcoin like i had no idea what money was how i i had no idea how money evolved i had no idea about the gold standard for example i uh, i just i just had all had to learn all of that uh, on my own and um uh, your podcast definitely was very helpful in that as well pointing me to to the right people and pointing me to the right resources so thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome yeah. and um yeah, so the the first thing I I had to ask myself over and over again is actually like what the hell is money and why do we need money and why why did money actually came to be like wh- why was it invented or- organically and um, just understanding that there are some things that are better used as money and that there are others that are really bad money um, helped tremendously in understanding Bitcoin. And you, 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 you basically go through the um, history of, of monies and the, the um, history of monetary goods. And uh, once you start to understand um, why gold and silver were in a way the, the shelling point of, of monies uh, over over the last couple of thousand years um it it's it starts to make sense that um it, it also starts to make sense that the current monetary system is just completely broken once once you realize that i think there's there's no going back there <laughs> it's very hard to unsee that in a way it brings up that whole um there's a lot of libertarians who aren't into bitcoin and that is always very puzzling to me because to me they should be some of the first people into this right uh but i guess not not all of them are i guess sold on the technology components or they have not dived into it because of the again the complexity is too much at the start um so what about this concept of don't trust verify so that's another lesson in, in your book in the technology chapter yeah, I, I think that's actually related why um, why more people that should be into Bitcoin because of their ideological alignment aren't into Bitcoin. I think in general, the modern computational technology that we have is still very new. People don't trust it very much. If you just compare it to gold, for example, gold is very trustworthy because it has like a 5,000 year track record or something like that. And it's it's also, it's not very complicated. You know, I mean, you have a, a gold nugget or a gold coin and there's there's not much that can go wrong with it. And it's, it's almost indes- like, it's pretty much indestructible. <laughs> and with technology, it's the opposite. It's very... It's very fragile, and uh, I mean, computer systems get hacked all the time. It's just um, uh, it's it's what you read in the news, and it's also what 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 is true in a way. <laughs> like <laughs> um, computer systems are horribly insecure, and so putting all your trust and all your money into a computer system is kind of a weird thing. And I think you need to have 
truly deep technical understanding understanding why you can do that and i think um shifting your perspective from it is a like a computer system to it is a thermodynamically secured physical system really helps because that's in essence what bitcoin is and uh, but but again i think um i think it's it's also correct to be cautious and it depends on your risk appetite um uh, not everyone is all into bitcoin and not everyone should be i think it's it's still very new even though i think it's insanely robust but uh we don't even know for example if the cryptographic primitives we hold are secure and that's what i wrote about in um in the lesson on trust um it's called uh, reflections on don't trust verify because it's really really hard to trust computer systems and ken thompson showed that in his very famous uh, um, hack where he put a backdoor in a compiler like he put a trojan horse in a compiler that um, generates computer programs and it's it, he he used this trojan horse to generate a new compiler which has this hidden trojan horse in it so it, it's it kind of sounds complicated but once you understand it it's it's basically a computer program that will infect all your computer programs just automatically and there's nothing you can do about it and you can't even detect it and um so once you realize that um all the computer systems that we use they they're prone to, to those kind of attacks i think it's it's um yeah it's understandable that people are skeptical and uh, we as i said in the beginning we should be uh, we should have eternal vigilance and uh, never let our guard down because yeah computer systems um, can be hacked they will be hacked and i think every attack vector that exists in bitcoin will be used at some point in time yeah that's a really sobering point and definitely a good reminder for many listeners and one thing that strikes me there is over time, Bitcoin products have had to evolve as well from a privacy and a security perspective, right? So we had hardware wallets trying to take the keys away and take, you know, make the keys cold instead of making the keys hot. And then, then there's this focus now on, okay, well, we need it to be open source and we need a secure element, but the challenges around having an open source secure element and, and then the challenges around having multi-signature and having that as, you know, an accessible technology. And that's still something that, the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem is working through that challenge now of how to make that easy. So there's definitely some really important lessons for all of us there on continually uh, upping our game in terms of security and also privacy. Now, privacy is also an important one as well because I think that is an angle where you don't have to be a libertarian to appreciate that. Like anyone can appreciate the value of privacy and that's actually one of your lessons so uh what, what are you getting at in your lesson here number 19 privacy is not dead yeah it was it was a rather optimistic take uh on on the whole privacy issue um i'm a huge privacy advocate and that's also one of the reasons why i don't use my real name just in a way because i can and it's it's in line with the bitcoin ethos and i think it's it's very important to um just point out to people that uh, privacy online is pretty much almost dead so you you should you should do everything that you can to take back your privacy and fight for it and um, just use the best tools you have available and just don't hand out your data just because you can use a free service or, or something and i think the um the way 
uh, Bitcoin was invented uh, by Satoshi is a, a very nice lesson in privacy because still nobody knows who he was and uh, a lot of people really want to know. <laughs> so his his OPSEC was really good and I think it, it is just a, a hopeful um, yeah, a hopeful lesson that privacy is not that if you if you know what you're doing, and we saw that also with the Snowden revelations, for example, um, he was he was able to stay private online, and he was able to um, yeah get the information out and do his leaks, and he's he's still alive, and I think if he wouldn't have come out publicly publicly there there is a possibility that he would still be somewhat anonymous i mean that's that's debatable but uh, he showed he showed us that these privacy preserving technologies are insanely powerful and as far as we know they can't be broken and we should all celebrate that and use them accordingly excellent well look let's um f- leave it there but uh let's make sure the listeners know where to find you online and where can they find your new book 21 lessons so 21 lessons is available on uh, all the amazon shops so i self-published using amazon so your local amazon shop should have it if you just search for 21 lessons bitcoin you should find it i'm their gg on pretty much uh, yeah, everywhere. I also have theirgg.com where uh, you can see my my writing and some other things. And uh, I'm yeah, I'm most easily reachable on Twitter. I would say so. I'm theirgg on Twitter as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me, GG. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Stefan. It was a blast. So lastly, just a quick announcement. I have just been announced as a speaker at Bitcoin 2020. So make sure you check that out. Last year at Bitcoin 2019 was incredible. They had a Bitcoin beer garden. They had amazing speakers. They've got a lightning arcade. They're going to have basically all that and more this year. They've got some awesome speakers as well. Nick Zabo and Tony Hawk to name a few. So the website for that is Bitcoin2020conference.com. As usual for my stuff, you can find all that, show notes, transcripts, subscribe, all that, stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.